0: Welcome to the Art of Decluttering Podcast. I am your host, Amy Ravel.
2: And I am Kirsty Fruta, and today we have a super special guest with us. We've got a third mic in the studio again via Zoom. Thank you. Um, And so we are very excited to be talking to Gretchen Rubin. She is one of today's most influential and thought-provoking observers of happiness and human nature. She's known for her ability to distill and convey complex ideas with humor and clarity in a way that's accessible to a wide Audience. She's the author of many books, including the blockbuster New York Times bestseller Out of Order, In a Calm, The Four Tendencies, Better Than Before, and The Happiness Project. She has an enormous readership, both in print and online, and her books have sold over 3.5 million copies worldwide in more than 30 languages. We love her top-ranking, award-winning podcast, Happier with Gretchen Rubin, where she discusses happiness and good habits with her sister, Elizabeth Kraft. In her work, she draws from cutting-edge science, the wisdom of ages, lessons from pop culture, and her own experiences to explore how we can make our lives happier, healthier more productive and more creative. So welcome
3: Gretchen. I'm so happy to be talking to you about one of my favorite subjects, decluttering. Oh, oh my can't gosh. <laughs> I'm so looking forward to this conversation. <laughs> Gretchen, where in the world are you joining us from? I am on the Upper East Side of New York City. So I am I am uh, like in my home, like so many of us like now. all of us, yes. Yeah. 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 Excellent. So we're going to awesome. jump
0: in with a question. Like we've been talking about the art of decluttering for over 200 episodes, but we want to know from you, what did you find while researching and writing out of order in a calm that convinced you that decluttering and organizing makes room for more human happiness?
3: Well, you know, this was something really, it was kind of a culmination Writing the book was a culmination because one of the things ever since I wrote the happiness project, one of the things that surprised me about myself and about other people too was how much decluttering does boost happiness, energy, a sense of possibility, a sense of focus. And you could say to yourself, well, you know, look, a crowded coat closet, an overflowing in-basket, these things are trivial in the context of, ha- of a happy life. And yet over and over, I would feel like, oh my gosh, I cleaned out my utility closet and I'm like walking by that thing 10 times a day because it just like gives me such a lift. <laughs> or a friend of mine said, I finally cleaned out my fridge and now I know I can switch careers. I'm like, yeah. I know what that feels like. And I was just intrigued by this because I thought it seems kind of disproportionate. It seems like we get more of a lift than than we would expect Um, That it seems like something that's pretty attainable. It's very concrete. Um, It's something we can all do. And yet it really does seem to go um, really to the heart of our experience of our lives. And so I just wanted to explore that because um, it was just fun to think about, uh, you know, how to do it and like why why it works so well.
0: And did you find that universally it affects everyone or did you find that there's a unique group of society that mm. actually, uh, you know, don't notice the clutter?
3: Oh, well, that's a great question because I am, uh, I have a sister who is clutter blind. And so you mentioned my podcast, Happy with Gretchen Rubin. So my sister is my, is my co-host and Elizabeth is truly one of the small group of people who are clutter blind. And I'm, we've all run into the people who are clutter blind. They don't see it. It doesn't bother them. I mean, all things being equal, she just as soon have things be neat and tidy and it's kind of faster to find things when she's looking for them, but she truly doesn't care. And it took me a long time to really understand that it just doesn't affect her the way that it affects me. And like, she really almost doesn't even see it. And I think if you're a person who loves decluttering and loves order and you're, and you're like sharing a household or an office space with somebody who is clutterblind. <laughs> It can be very puzzling and frustrating because you're like, what is going on? Like, what is your problem? But the fact is, they it just doesn't register with them. It has to be a very conscious effort. So my sister, you know, she has a husband and a child. So she does make a conscious effort. But it's not something that gives her a boost or that comes naturally the way that I think it would come to the three of us to seek that (laughs) out and to try to create that environment. (laughs) Uh, So every time I go to her house, I beg her to let me like, let me clean out your exercise (laughs) room. Let me clean out your office. And she sits on a couch and kind of helps me. You know, but I do it for my because it makes me feel good. She doesn't really care.
2: <laughs> I think that's how a lot of our listeners feel about their partners. Yes. That they're clutterblind blind or that their children yeah. are clutter blind.
3: Yes. Yeah. 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 Yeah.
2: So moving on to the four tendencies, we love how you talk about your four tendencies personality framework and that it defines a narrow slice of your personality and why we act Um, and why we don't act and how and why we respond to expectations. We also love how you talk about the purpose of any personality framework and that it is to help us to understand ourselves and others better and to hold space and grace for others within their personality. So could you explain the four tendencies to us, please?
3: Oh yes, oh, my one of my favorite subjects. So yeah, this is this is um this explains a very narrow aspect of your nature and uh, most people can know what they are the minute I describe it they know themselves, they know their sweethearts, they know their kids, they know their office mates. Um but there is a quiz if you want to go to quiz.gretchenrubin.com there's a very free quick quiz like 3 million people have taken this quiz. Because we all love a quiz, um, but you don't really need to take the quiz. You probably know what you are without taking the quiz. So, as you said, this this what this looks at is how you respond to expectations, which sounds very dry, but ends up being really juicy and useful to know. And we all face uh, two kinds of expectations: outer expectations like work deadline or a request from a friend, and inner expectations, which is like my own desire to uh, keep an year's resolution, my own desire to get back into yoga. And depending on how you, in combination, you respond to outer and inner expectations, that's what makes you an upholder, a questioner, an obliger, or a rebel. Those are the four tendencies. So upholders uh, readily meet outer and inner expectations. They meet a work deadline. They keep an year's resolution without much fuss. They, they want to know what other people expect from them, but their expectations for themselves are just as important. So their, their motto is, discipline is my freedom. Then there are questioners. So questioners question all expectations. They'll do it if they think it makes sense. They resist anything arbitrary, ineffective, unjustified. They have to know why. If something passes their inner standard, they will do it, no problem. If it fails their inner standard, they will push back. So their motto is, I'll comply if you convince me why. Then there are obligers, obligers readily meet outer expectations. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, uh, All right. Well, you're the, that's the biggest tendency for both men and women, the biggest tendency. You either are an obliger, you have many obligers in your lives, a lot of huge, a lot of strength and power in obliger, like all the tendencies. So obligers readily meet outer expectations, but they struggle to meet inner expectations. And so I got my insight into this tendency when a friend said to me, I know I would be happier if I exercised, and when I was in high school, I was on the track team, and I never missed track practice, so I don't understand why I can't go running now. And when she had a team and a coach expecting her to show up, she did, no problem, but when she was trying to go on her own, she struggled. So obligers are people who feel like, I can keep my promises to other people, but it's hard to keep my promises to myself. So the solution, you know, spoiler alert, for obligers is outer accountability. To meet an inner expectation, you have to create a system of outer accountability. You want to read more, join a book group. Uh, You want to clean out your guest room, invite a friend to come stay for the weekend. Uh, Create outer, you want to exercise, sign up for a class, work out with a friend who will be annoyed if you don't show up, think of your duty to be a role model to other people in your life. There's lots of ways to create outer accountability, and that is what obligers need. Um, So their motto is, you can count on me, and I'm counting on you to count on me. Then there are rebels. That's the smallest tendency. All right. Ooh, it's we got messy. a rebel too. We got a big one. Oh, okay. We got an, um, remind me at the end, I'll, I'll comment on that pairing. Okay. Yes. So rebels We've got that. are, yeah, <laughs> rebels is the smallest category. and um, So they resist both kinds of expectations, outer and inner alike. So they want to do what they want to do in their own way, in their own time. They can do anything they want to do, anything they choose to do. Uh, they tend yep. to love a challenge, but- if you ask or tell them to do something, they're they are very likely to resist, and typically they don't like to s- tell themselves what to do. Like they won't sign up for a ten a.m. spin class on Saturday mornings because they think I don't know what I want to do on Saturday, and just the fact that someone is telling me to show up is going to annoy me. So their motto is, "You can't make me, and neither can I." Yep, It is Kirsty to a T. Uh, there you go. <laughs> okay, so what's interesting about your pairing is. When you see a rebel paired up, either in uh, romance or in like a work relationship, like, oh, we're co-hosts, if one person is a rebel, almost always the other person is an obliger. That oh. is the most effective and stable pairing. Oh, and so excellent. if you know one is a rebel, you will, there's, if like someone says, I'm a rebel, I wonder what my spouse is, I'm like, okay, I'm giving it very, very high odds that you're married to an obliger because rebels usually pair, pair up with obligers. And as you do, there you go. You're a perfect example of that.
0: And what are the challenges and strengths then in that partnership? I know this isn't decluttering. We'll get back to it, but now I'm interested.
3: (laughs) (laughs) Well, so, so obliger is like the typo kind of like typo is the universal blood type obligers are the ones that team up the most easily with all three tendencies. Um, Upholders and questioners can struggle with rebels, and rebels often struggle with upholders and questioners. Upholders, they love a plan. They love a calendar. They love a schedule. Like, they put no value on spontaneity. Like, I never do anything spontaneously. Rebels don't like to work that way. So there's a lot of friction, and there's a lot of just, like, not, not having a different approach to the world rebels want to feel free. They want to like turn on a dime. They want to, you know, follow what feels right. They Mm -hmm. want to just like, you know, put their identity into the world. And upholders can get really frustrated with that because they're like, well, I have a plan and and a checklist and I'm very focused on execution and I have my own things that I'm balancing and I can't give you the flexibility that you want. Questioners are like, but why? A rebel's like, I wanna do this. Like, if you have a questioner working for Rebel Boss, Rebel Boss walks in and goes, I have a whole new mission for this company. <laughs> I had an epiphany last night. This is what we're gonna do. And the questioner's like, But why? I wanna know why. I wanna know when. Like, this makes no sense to me. Like, you've gotta lay this out. And the rebel's like, Oh my gosh, like, I cannot be bothered to talk you through it. So there's a lot of frustration. Whereas obligers are often excited by the freedom of rebels because obligers feel so much external pressure, and the rebel's like, we don't have to listen to them. We can, you know, we can, we can just go our own way. Come with me. We're free. What you often see, like in a marriage is like, let's say one person has fam of like family members that are very needy, don't observe boundaries, uh, constantly putting enormous pressure on the obliger. The rebel has no trouble saying to that obliger, look, ignore them. That's not fair come with me. We're not going, we're not showing up. You don't have to do that. And that's incredibly freeing and reassuring to the obliger. So they get something from that the rebel relationship. Whereas for the upholders and the questioners, it's kind of, it's more, there's more uh, friction mm-hmm. in, ha- in handling that aspect of the rebel nature.
0: I'm glad we've got this recorded. We may go back and listen a few times. Okay. <laughs>
2: Well, I mean, that there is still friction in an obliger rebel relationship, Amy, as you well know <laughs> yeah. we have plenty of friction and plenty of ways that, that we um don't uh, don't see each other's point of view because we hold to our own point of view, yeah,
0: <laughs> it is and I think three years of working together, you learn those yeah. things, like I learned to hold Kirst lightly because she doesn't want to be told what to yes. do,
3: yes. Well, I work with, I collaborate with a lot of rebels and I've learned like, it's like, here's an idea. If this works for you, if it sounds fun, when it's convenient for you, you can consider doing this if it works <laughs> for your goals for yourself. And it's always just like, because if you say something like, oh, yeah, this is what you have to do. There'd be like, nah, I don't have to do that. You know? And so it's part of it is mm-hmm. just framing it in a way, um, that doesn't ignite that spirit of resistance, um, I think in a way, I mean, what I've observed in myself and in other people is that having a vocabulary for this often can really take out the negative emotions associated with it because it's like, you're not opposing me just to be difficult or because you don't care about me or you don't respect my judgment. It's just that you need to feel like it's your choice and you're doing it on your terms. You're like this with everybody you know, this is just the way a lot of people are like this. It's just kind of like, it might be annoying. I might have to like work around it, but it's, I don't have to feel bad about it. I'm married to a questioner. And as an upholder, I used to get very angry and hurt because anytime I asked him to do something, he'd be like, well, why would I do that? And I would be like, can't you just do it? Because just I asked him, it. like, isn't it? why do we have to have these long conversations about like, why you need to fill out a form? Like, <laughs> it's just, ugh. but now I understand. He's like that with everybody. It's not, it's like, it's no, it's not, oh, he's not jerky. It's not personal. And so, and so now I'm like, I just, and now I know if I'm like, I need to, wait, what's your work address? I say, I'm filling out a form. I need to know your work address. I don't say to him, pick up smoked turkey on your way home from work. I say, oh, our daughter is taking a bagged lunch on a field trip tomorrow. Can you pick up smoked turkey on your way home? Because if I tell him why I'm asking him to do something, even something like, what time are we leaving? He will not tell me what time are we leaving? Unless I say, I want to know what time we're leaving because I'm wondering if I have time to go to the gym. Then he'll tell me, but I tell you, he will not tell me if he doesn't understand why I'm asking. And it's deeply annoying. Yeah. Now I finally, now I'm kind of less annoyed because I'm like, this is just a thing. It's a questioner thing. It's annoying, but it's just, it's not personal. And so I do feel like it can drain out some of the, just kind of the resentment and the puzzlement uh, that can happen when we don't understand each other's perspectives.
2: I find um, just like getting really personal and not nope. about decluttering, but about me because <laughs> it's my show and I can. Yes, um, let's do it. Yeah. <laughs> um, Amy and my husband, Simon, are the people who I get my up the most, like, with when they tell me what to do i'm all like you know somebody else like you know gretchen you could say hey Kirsty, can you do this for me i'd be like sure no problems but with my two closest partnerships they go can you do this and i'm like no no i can't i need to make that choice yeah. and you can't tell me what to do and how dare you think that you could tell me what to do like
3: (laughs) but it's probably because those are the people that are putting those expectations on you because like the people that are just sort of wandering through your life it's probably pretty minimal and pretty easy to understand why they're doing it but with these people it's probably pretty constant because the closer we are to people the more (laughs) expectations we have from them
2: yeah yeah so fascinating. I think I find humans fascinating.
3: <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. But you know what's funny about the four tendencies is once you know, they're very blatant. It's not like some personality things where you're like, ooh, I have to like take the test 10 times and like, what does it even mean? I don't even understand the terms. This is like, I can do the Game of Thrones characters for you. I mean, <laughs> You know, it's like, a Harry Potter, let's do it. Like, it's obvious, you know? Um, you see it all the time in the people around you. If you go, I don't know if you guys, like, have an office kitchen where people, like, post signs about, like, whether people have put their mugs in the dishwasher. This is, like, a major part of American <laughs> culture. aggressiveness, yeah. I want to yeah. write, like, a PhD thesis on, like, office signage, like, you know, vernacular office signage. It's just, you see them playing out. I'm like, I can look at that sign and I can tell you what tendency that person is because it's just <sighs> blatant. Um, so I do think it's a helpful framework. Um, you know, it's like sometimes dealing with your kids. I mean, Kirstie, you're a rebel. If you have a rebel kid and you're not a Mm -hmm. rebel yourself, that can be hard. And people don't often like make things worse out of all the love in the world. Mm -hmm. They don't understand how they're pushing that child's buttons and they can make it worse. Um, because they don't understand like the, like the, the mechanics of what's happening. Um, So, it's really helpful to, I think, to know these so that you can tailor your approach to to be most effective for that person.
2: Yeah. And I love how easy um, it is to identify because it makes it really helpful when we're going into our clients' homes. Yes. um, To be able to go, oh, right, I can tell just by the quick five minutes I've been with you, I feel like you might be this. And so, I think it is really important to learn the language. Um, of how to get somebody to do what they really want to do or what they've said their expectation is of themselves um, and particularly if <laughs> they're a rebel yeah. or <laughs> an obliger who won't meet their own inner expectations, um, yeah. to be able to when they've said what their expectation I have my expectation and my vision for my home is that you know for it to be calm and peaceful and decluttered and beautiful um, to have that language to be able to motivate and move them in the direction that they're wanting to go is so helpful <laughs>
3: Well, it's funny because I've heard from people who have all kinds of clients, whether that's doctors and nurses and physical therapists or like salespeople and business people who have to like deal with clients or finance advisors, you know, personal organizers, anybody who's trying to help someone do something. It's like, you hired me to help you do this. So I don't understand why you're not doing it because you are pet. you know, it's, it's really helpful to kind of have tools to understand. Because what a lot of people focus on, um, because I think this is sort of what culture tells us, and it's also very questioner and upholder, is motivation and like putting yourself first and getting clear on your priorities. This is not, I don't, I wouldn't focus on that. um, Because that's, that's really not the pressure point. And I, especially obligers can become enormously frustrated because they're like, I absolutely want this to the core of my heart but my actions aren't following. And so then that makes me feel like, well, do I have low self-esteem? Why can't I keep my promises to myself? I need to learn to put myself first. Why can't I do that? So they get really discouraged and kind of feel down about themselves. Like there's something wrong with them. And I'm like, this is a thing that a lot of people are like rebels are like, why can't I use a to-do list? All grownups can do this. There's something (laughs) wrong with me. Like, why is it that if you, you know, I make a list and then I refuse to do everything on the list. I'm like, That's a thing that a lot of people have that like there's workarounds, like you don't have to reinvent the wheel here. There's you got a lot of company, even if you're a rebel and that's the smallest category. There's still a lot of rebels out there. They figured it out. You know, you can you can learn from them. You can do things in your own way. So I think, yeah, when you're dealing with clients, it's really helpful to help them get where they're trying to go.
0: So then what are, in your opinions, the the strengths or maybe the limitations of Mm. each of those tendencies Mm. when it comes to decluttering, when it comes Mm -hmm. to getting organized and Mm -hmm. to have those habits to maintain that?
3: Yeah, that's a great question. So for upholders, you know, there's a lot of strength in the upholder tendency and they're really good at like sort of making something a habit. Like, you know, every night, you know, when I leave, when I leave my work, when I leave my desk, I'm going to take 10 minutes and tidy up or every morning before I leave the house, I'm going to, you know, like doing that kind of thing, keeping their keys in the same place, like having systems that tends to be very, um, come naturally to them and even be reassuring for them. Um, but what you do see, and I'm an upholder myself, so I speak from personal experience, is they, they can be rigid. There's kind of a rigidity that can come from upholders where they feel like, I can't go to bed unless I've done X, Y, Z thing. It's like, even though it's two in the morning and you'd be better off just going to sleep, it's like, who cares? Um, you know? Yeah, I'm but married
0: to that person. <laughs> yeah,
3: right. So there's kind of a rigidity that can sometimes get in the way. Sometimes upholders can be judgmental of other people. They don't understand why others might struggle with systems and processes. And so they're not very um, empathetic and they're not good at helping other people create systems. Like as an obliged as an upholder, I, I really, I think back and people would say like, oh, I need accountability. And I would say, well, I don't wanna be your babysitter. Just decide that it's important to you to do it. And they'd be yeah. like, what are you talking about? You know, so understanding that other people might, like quest- questioners need their questions answered. Rebels need their freedom obligers need accountability. It's like, sometimes upholders don't under, if they don't understand, they don't understand why that's necessary. And they can seem cold, you know, it's like, um, this is really important to me. And so I'm not gonna, you know, like, I decided that I was going to spend this weekend, like getting my yard all organized. And yeah, you would like me to come over and see your new baby, but I'm sorry, I already made my plan. Like, to an upholder, that's very, it's like, I made a plan. Um, It's hard to be flexible. Uh, For questioners, what, and I'm sure you see this with your clients, with questioners, it's like, everything has to have a justification. So you're like, let's clean out the basement. They're like, why would we clean out the basement? We never use the basement. So you have to say things like, let's clean out the basement this weekend because we're having that other family come and stay with us. And if the basement's clean, the kids can have another place to play and the adults will have uh, more room for themselves okay, I've given you a deadline. I've told you why. I've told you why that makes sense for you. I've told you like why this makes sense for us to do this, you know, now, why this is like, and so you're going to, so I'm sure you have clients which are like, why should I do it for 20 minutes? Why should I have 10 folders? Why am I painting this yellow? Why am I, you know, why is it important to have systems? Why can't I, you know, it's just like you have to explain why. The more arbitrary something seems, the more they will push back. And the more you're like, Here's some research, and here's some data. Also, what's often very compelling to questioners is experimenting and learning by experimenting. Let's try the system for you. Try it for a week, see how it works. If it doesn't work for you, I've got other, I've got other strategies to suggest. But we'll know better how to customize things for you. Questioners love to customize. If we see how this goes over, this could be the magic solution or not. And but let's iterate. Let's find out. They're very attracted to that. Um, but questioners can fall into analysis paralysis where they're like, oh my gosh, there's so many apps that I could use. Like, I have to do research, 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 or I can't yes. commit to this filing system because there's all these other ways. And so you have to help them um, understand. And so for you with clients, also what's important is, is they will trust authority, but they have to believe in the authority of that authority. So you have to be very clear on them. Why are you listening to me? You have to establish that because it's like, I'm not going to do it just because you told me to. I might have even hired you and I'm not going to do it just because you told me to. I have to understand like your judgment. And so you have to really establish that for questioners. Um, And questioners can, they can make people feel uh, attacked and defensive. And so if you have a client where you're like, why are they undermining my authority? Why are they questioning every decision that I've made, every suggestion? It's like, no, this is just how they are. They just, they don't mean to put you on the witness stand or, you know, interview, Hmm. interrogate you. That's just how they learn, that's how they buy in. Once they buy in, they can go all the way.
0: One of the things I've found with questioner clients is yeah. during the session is I'll feel like, "Oh, I'm just not getting through." Like, yes, yes, I'm not giving the right language. Yes. And at the end they're like, "This is incredible. This is transformational."
3: Yes. <laughs> I'm yes. Like, "Oh, yes. I wish I
0: knew that." Yes.
3: Yes, because to the other tendencies, people constantly asking questions is a sign of disbelief. Uh, no, lack of conviction, lack of being persuaded, whereas for a questioner, you could be slowly ticking off every box to the big finish. So that's a great point, which is not to misread that as a lack of kind of buy-in mm. because that might be the very process of buy-in. Um,
2: I've had a client who is a huge fan of yours and she even goes, Kirsty, I'm a questioner. Like, just uh, let me question. Yeah, you know, blah, blah, yeah. On. Okay, you can
3: Yeah, But see, again, that's a good thing of like where having this vocabulary allows you to drain the emotion out of it because then you don't have the experience of Amy feeling like, oh, I'm not connecting. You have the feeling of like, oh, this is just her process. I'm happy. You're the client. I'm happy to to give you the process that works for you. But that kind of helps me in my own mind uh, be comfortable with what's going on instead of questioning myself, which then is very distracting when I'm trying to connect with you. Um, so, obligers, obligers need outer accountability, and and this can take many forms. Some obligers can use almost like an imaginary form of accountability, like my future self. If I get to the end of the year and I have done, made no headway in this, I'm gonna feel so disappointed in myself. Um, or they can feel do something like their duty to be a role model or to to set an atmosphere for other people. Uh, if I have a clean, organized, comfortable, serene household, that's gonna help my children in school. That's gonna help my spouse. That's going to help everyone. And so it's not that I'm doing it for me, it's that I'm doing it for everyone. I have to say, as an upholder, that used to really get my back up. I'm like, don't do it for other people. Do it for yourself. Do it because this is what you want. But now I understand that for obligers, that's actually a very helpful framework. Like, this is something that's really going to help the people that I love. Um, I want to be able to invite friends over and to feel comfortable. I want I want them to feel welcome in my home. And if I feel if I feel defensive, if I feel insecure about my home, I'm not going to have that open door that I want to have to have, like, that hospitality. Um or, you know, and then there's things like have people over once a month. Like if it's the book group, say I'm going to have my book group over three, every three months. And I, I know that people are going to be coming into my house. And so I have to clean things up. I'm going to, I need to clean out my guest room. I have to invite guests to stay. Um, you could also think you can do funny trades. Like, um, so you could adapt this to clutter clearing. I, t- I heard about two sisters-in-law. They both wanted to get back into yoga. Uh, and then by chance, one thing about them is they both love massages. So they made a deal. So if Amy does 30 days of yoga, Kirsty gets a massage. If Kirsty does 30 days of yoga, Amy gets a massage. So you might let yourself down and not do the yoga, but then you'd be letting someone else down because then they don't get their treat.
0: Oh, that would totally um, work for me.
3: Right, right. Yeah. Because yep. it's like you're going to hold it up for somebody else. So you get yep. what you want. So you could do that like every three, you know, you could do whatever you wanted to do it like that. You can text people photos like, oh, or like say on social media, oh, I'm going to do a before and after. Here's the before. And then everybody's going to be like, oh, but where's the after? Because the fun is the after, right? We all love a before and after. So now I'm on the hook because everybody's like, oh, what's your kitchen going to look like after you clean it up? Um, You can kind of create an audience for it, you know, create a sense of expectation Um, So there's a million ways. And then hiring, hiring somebody to come in like that, probably, you probably have a lot of obliger clients because even if obligers don't have a word for it, they've often intuited that they need accountability and they know like, I'm not going to do it on my own, but if I bring somebody in here and like, they're expecting me to make certain kinds of progress, that's how I know I'll do it. Now, the problem becomes is they get everything organized, but then you step away how do they need a sense of accountability, some kind of ongoing accountability, whether that's knowing that you're going to say, okay, I want to, I want you to take me on a video tour of your house every six months, whether that's other, there's many kinds of, I have an app, the better app, which is free. Um, and it's kind of like a, a you know, a private discussion system and a lot of obligers will set up accountability for all different things. Uh, they don't even all have to agree, but they'll create a group to create accountability within, within just like among a few people so that they know they're kind of on the hook Uh, to do whatever they wanted to do. So for obligers, but the thing about obligers is once they've decided they need that, they've set that out of accountability, they're great at keeping their promises. So they're really reliable uh, just over the long term. Um, And then rebels. So rebels, they have to do it because this is what they want. I like a clean, uncluttered house because that's what I like. I'm not doing it because you told me to. I'm not doing it for somebody else. I'm not doing it because like some magazine tells me I should do it. I do that because that's what I like, that's what I want. I want people to come into my house and, and see how much I love music. And so I'm gonna showcase all my, everything I have that's related to music and I want that to be like clear to everyone who comes in. I like simplicity, like this is a really important value to me. Um, I, I love this certain kind of aesthetic and I want to show people kind of my judgment, my discretion, my, my taste, my perception. I'm a cool hunter. People come in and they see like the crazy cool things that I can find that no one else would have put together. It's my identity. It's who I want. It's what I want. Um, and so that's very persuasive for rebels. Whereas if you say, well, you have to do this, or this is the best practice, Sometimes they might be like, I'm going to stay up 24 hours and clean out my whole house. You're like, awesome. That sounds fantastic. That's your challenge. Do it. Blow us away. Show us your chops. You can do it in a way that nobody's ever done. Um, that's what can work for a That's
2: awesome because we just, we had it, we put it out to our Facebook community that we were interviewing you and we had heaps of questions come in. Oh, great. And one of them was from a rebel. Um, our good friend Mandy had said, um, I'm a rebel and um, how can I not sabotage myself when it yep. comes to getting stuff done?
3: So there's a couple ways that rebel. So part is the identity. This is what I want. This is what I choose. I do it when I want. I'm not. I'm not going to try to lock myself into a schedule because other people will try to you to be like, do it a half an hour every morning or do this on Saturday. It's like, no, do it when you feel like it. Just do it when you feel like it. But think about what you want. This is what you want. So you can do it whenever you feel like it. Also, rebels, they tend not to like things like to-do lists, um, but sometimes they can, they can make like a could-do list. Sometimes <laughs> they kind of gamify it by doing things like they write tasks on slips of paper, and then whenever they feel like sort of tackling something, they'll pick something out of the jar and be like, oh, it says I'm supposed to dust. Okay, I'll dust. It. It's sort of fun and unexpected and spontaneous. And then if they don't feel like dusting, they're like, I'm not going to dust. I'll do something else. And they pick another slip out of the jar. Um But part of it is to realize that a lot of the conventional advice will not work for you. You will not want to lock into a schedule, typically. You will not want to uh, uh, kind of set yourself certain aims at certain times. It's all about what you want when you choose it. Um, And uh, the the sense of self-sabotage comes if you are trying to impose a rule on yourself. Because rebels can't tell themselves what to do. Um, so don't, if you find that self-sabbed, like somebody said to me, it's kind of analogous said, uh, I made a rule for myself that I wasn't going to eat bread anymore. And so I went out the next day and ate an entire loaf of cinnamon bread. And I'm like, yeah, cause yeah. that doesn't work for rebels. So one rebel, like one rebel who wanted to quit sugar, here's an interesting thing. Every morning she eats one piece of candy. Cause she's like, I can do anything I want. And huh. what am I going to do? I'm going to wake up and first thing in the morning, I'm going to eat candy, which is like the thing you're not supposed to do. And then the rest of the day, I'm like, hey, look, I can do anything I want to do. I already had my candy. I don't need any more. I'm like, that's brilliant. That's a brilliant way to get the sense of freedom. And yet one piece of candy is not a big deal compared to what you could eat over the course of your day. So you might have a rebel thing where maybe you're like, you know what? I just never make my bed. Everybody says you're supposed to make your bed. I don't make my bed. Everything else I have tidy because I like that. And that's what helps me think. And that's what helps me function effectively. And that's what I like. But I'll never make my bed. Fine, great. That sounds excellent. You know, I leave my wet towels on the ground. Fine, great. Whatever you want, <laughs> you can do. You're the boss of you. The police are uh, not coming around. Yeah, right. Exactly. Leave your dishes over in the in the sink overnight. You know, usually people have like one thing that is like their symbolic action of rebellion, <laughs> um, maybe related to what they had to do as a child, and uh, you know, um, whatever it is, I think just just find the way that works for you to do what you want.
0: Are you loving getting into decluttering in your home, but feel like some of the things just aren't staying how they should, or you're finding piles or recollecting around the house? Are you getting a bit frustrated that you're not seeing the success that you thought that you would? Well, Kirst and I are excited to let you know about our online decluttering course that teaches you not only how to get an organised and decluttered home, but really importantly, how to keep it that way. So we would love you to come and join our course community. We have an interactive and amazing Facebook group. And all of the course is self-paced, so you can jump online whenever you like and go through our six modules that will take you from being overwhelmed to an organizing guru. So just visit outofdecluttering.com.au forward slash course and come and join us. We can't wait to have you.
1: Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite
3: But, you know, maybe we should talk about Obliger Rebellion. And, Amy, I don't know if you've ever experienced this, because this does come up with cluttering a lot. Yes, um, and I
0: have Obliger Rebellion over ooh, a Ooh, I want to hear about it. I'm
3: fascinated <laughs> with Obliger Rebellion. So I'm going to explain it, and then you give us your yes, example. Go. So Obliger Rebellion is a very common but somewhat mystifying experience, if phenomenon, if you if you don't know what it is. So Obliger Rebellion is when an Obliger meets, 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 meets an expectation, and suddenly they snap and think, this I will not do. and it, Sometimes it's small and funny, like, I'm not going to answer your emails for two day, two weeks. And then sometimes it's huge, like, I'm going to divorce you. I'm going to quit <laughs> this job today without thinking about it. Um, I'm going to end a 30-year friendship because I've had it. This is over. You're dead to me. Um, and it happens when obligers feel like expectations become too burdensome, when they feel neglected or exploited or unheard. And obligers feel exploited uh, and taken advantage of because they are, that is a hundred percent true because upholders, rebels and questioners will all go straight to an obliger because the obliger is the great friend, colleague, family member, neighbor who will help you out when you need a hand. That is why they are the rock of the world, which they are, but that's why they get taken advantage of. And that can lead to obliger rebellion. Sometimes obliger rebellion is like directed at others. I'm not going to answer your emails. Sometimes it's directed towards the self. Like, I'm not going to manage my blood sugar, which is obviously a big problem if it's turned toward the self. I, given the kind of boss I have and the pressure I'm under, I can't exercise. So that's a form of obliged rebellion. But sometimes it's also like, given everything that I'm going through, I can't be expected to keep my house organized. And so you allow yourself kind of as an act of rebellion to let everything fall into just chaos. But of course, that just makes you feel worse. Like it's obliged to rebellion, but it's like, I'll show you who are you showing? You're the one that's bearing the brunt of it. Yeah. Um. And so, if a blighter rebellion like is taking that form, you want to realize, okay, something else is going on that I need to address because this is a symptom of a deeper issue unrelated. It's not really a clutter issue. It's just manifesting in clutter. Which so, Amy, what, we, what is? Ha, yeah. What? What? Oh, I was going to say
2: strength? we see that all the time yes. with moms who are overwhelmed. Oh. Like. Yeah, they're like nuts, and I I think that that's exactly what happens. Like they they're obligers because you know most yeah. you know the greater greatest percentage of your tendencies yeah. are obligers. But also, um, I think as mums, um, as carer for little children, and potentially carers of our parents as well, when we get yeah. to a certain age, when we're we're trying to juggle it at all, and then we can self-sabotage by just going, no, nah, I'm not doing any of it. And I can't, or I can't do any of it because I'm so obliged to everybody else. Yes. Um, and that's, and so, the, that's
3: like, th- it's like, everybody expects so much from me. This I'm going to like throw down and refuse yeah. to do. Um, yeah. 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 So Amy, how, what's your experience been of this? Cause it's so fascinating. To me <laughs> how, how it comes out. I, I think, got my chat. Pe- I've got my pen yeah. out to take notes. I will <laughs> recline got this on giant, the chair. <laughs> I've got a giant, I've got a giant uh uh document just called examples uh, because uh. <laughs> it's just when I'm studying it.
0: Yeah. I think that there is a tendency to cut off my nose to spite my face, which I think yeah. is what this obliger rebellion can do. Um, I think sometimes, because I'm quite entrepreneurial, so there's a little bit of that. Like when I take your test, it comes out as rebel. But I know mm-hmm.
3: that I'm actually an obliger. Right. Yes. Gotcha. Well, there's a deep affinity between obligers and rebels. So that's yes. kind of understandable. Yeah.
0: Um, and so I, you know, talking about quitting jobs, like I'll just quit my job or I I make decisions and I'll just turn and do something yeah. completely different. Um, usually it's not in rebellion to others. It's usually in rebellion to myself or situations. Like I feel trapped. So yes. I'm just gonna do this that seems totally crazy but you know Kirst was just laughing before because you're dead to me she always thinks that that's how I like if ah. someone crosses me I'm like you're dead to me
3: <laughs> ah there you go um well you know the, the thing that's interesting about a Blight to rebellion is that sometimes it can be very destructive um and it can have reputational costs because sometimes other people don't understand they're like I asked you if you wanted to be on this committee and you said, yes. So now I don't understand why you're so furious. And, but to an obliger, that makes sense. You know, it's like, yes, I'm on 10 committees and everybody else is only on two committees, but you asked me and like made me feel guilty for not doing it. So I feel like I had to say yes. And now I'm very, very resentful. Yeah. So obliger rebellion is meant to blow up a situation where it just becomes unsustainable You just can't take it anymore. So it's meant to blow it up And sometimes it is very beneficial and it can really get obligers out of situations where they need to get out Where they are being exploited or unheard But sometimes it can be destructive and and it puzzles other people because they're like Well, why didn't you talk about this or why didn't you raise this? Um, So I think it's really important as obligers or also people around obligers to be on the lookout for those building feelings of resentment. Because the obliger
0: sometimes doesn't know it's building.
3: No, they don't. And so you want to watch out for that. You want everybody has an obligation to look out and make sure things are fair. I mean, I hear about this, like a nurse just emailed me and she's like, the same people take all the night shifts and fill in when they have to. And the same people blow it off. That's not fair. If you're managing that team, you should say, this is not being equally distributed. Like, let's talk about this and like figure out a fair way because just asking people to sign up for the night shift is clearly not working because some people are feeling an obligation to the group and doing it. And other people are feeling quite free to say no. It's not that there's necessarily anything wrong with that, but now it's not fair. So we need to figure out a way to make it fair. That's on me as the manager. I need to look at that. Or sometimes what a obligers can do is like, even if they're not good at managing for themselves, they will manage for other people. So I walk in and I say, look, this isn't fair. Do you know what's on Amy's plate? Why is Amy being asked to do all this? I know perfectly well that there's many members of this team who are not doing this. Same thing with the family. So maybe you've experienced this. One thing that can happen that's not really fair is like, let's say you have three, four kids. A couple are obligers, one's an obliger, and then you've got some other tendencies in there. The obliger kid is probably going to be the one that's the easiest to order around. <laughs> and because one kid pushes back less, let's say you have an obliger and a rebel. The rebel's is going to give you grief every, every single time. And so you start saying, I've heard this from so many parents, well, I just go to that obliger because that obliger is just like so much more cooperative. That's not fair. As a parent, you shouldn't overload one child because they're more willing to step in and then let one child get off scot-free just because they make a big fuss every time. That's not fair. And it's not good for either child to see that. It's a pain to deal with that, but you have to look out for the obliger because they are the rock of the world and they are the ones that come through. And I think it's the duty of all of us to make sure that we don't take advantage of it. And by the way, it's in our best interest because I've heard from so many people where it's like, okay, so I just divorced him or okay. I was their highest earner, but I couldn't take it anymore. So I was like, I'm going to go work for a competitor. So here you've got your best employee just walked out. And when that obliger rebellion sets in, it is the dead to me. There's no going back from that. No. One thing that's fascinating to me about obliged rebellion, <laughs> once it happens, it just, it plays out. Many people have said to me, how do you stop it once it starts? I don't think you can No, you can't. <laughs> It plays out. It plays out. You don't want it to start. You want to thwart it. You want to be looking for that unfairness, that resentment, that feeling. Yeah. They have kind of like a tone in their voice, like with everything that's expected of me. You think that I am like in a blah 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 blah. It's like ooh okay, ooh back up. Okay, let's figure out what's going on here. Um, yeah, that's it's, it, Oh. Yeah. So, yeah, you've experienced it. It can be good. It can be bad.
2: I find it um, fascinating with our relationship, um, Amy and I's relationship, because as a rebel, um, I feel like I'm often encouraging her to be a rebel. Yes. Yes. Um, Like she'll go, oh, no, I have to do this. I have to do that. I'm like, no, you don't. Yeah, he don't says, have to do anything you don't want to do. <laughs> so,
3: but see, so, and that's part of what you offer each other. Yeah, you know, I'm sure she finds that very comforting and reassuring and and, and empowering. Yeah, that and someone's encouraging her to say no, or yeah, to disregard so other as people's as, expectations. Yeah,
2: yeah, and as much as a rebel um, part of their nature is to find the obliger and go, <laughs> "She'll yeah. do what I want for me." Um, yeah. I um I butter her
0: up you're really good at that can you you
2: (laughs) (laughs) I feel no I feel I like this is being very open and honest with everybody I feel like Amy does a really good job of managing my rebelness um and I try to do a really good job of recognizing my own rebelness in that not like trying not to burden her like mm. try not having expectations. Because of, we've had her. so
0: many of those conversations cursed. Yes. and we've done the deep work as a partnership. Yes, that we can now go, oh, if I could make her think it was her idea, this is Bonza. <laughs>
2: Yeah, And if I can just tell her to chill out and not worry about other people's expectations, then maybe she'll be a rebel one day and we can go and rule the world properly.
3: But the thing is, this is a perfect example of how like thoughtful people can figure it out even without the vocabulary. Like if there's empathy and there's a desire to like be the good partner and to make it work and to understand how to like other people's psychology works but it's really sad because you will get like a rebel obliger partnership and that rebel will just exploit the obliger to the end. And then the obliger walks out. Yeah. And it's a really bad pattern. Um, because like I've heard from obligers where they're like, that's happened to them, you know, for whatever reason, they're drawn to the rebel who will exploit them. So they they look back and they're like, What's wrong with me? I can't have a relationship. I have these people, they exploit me until I like finally have enough, then I end it explosively. And then I just do it again, and I'm like, "Oh yeah," because this is what's happening. Um, whereas, if you're really thoughtful about it, then you can get tremendous strengths from each other and like really complement each other. Um, but if somebody's out there to like drain someone dry, uh, they can. Um, mm. It can be. It can be. Ba- it can be a very bad. Uh, a very bad combo.
2: I think my biggest fear is, Amy saying that I'm dead to her <laughs> so ah.
3: I try to do everything I can well, see, not It's good to. you've seen that happen because now it's like ooh, I know it's a possibility. <laughs> Hopefully after 20 however
0: many years we've known each other we're good my friend. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Hopefully. <laughs>
2: So in your book, um, Better Than Before, you gave us 21 strategies that we can use to build or break habits. Mm-hmm. So how do those strategies interact with the four tendencies?
3: Mm. Yeah, and that's decluttering. A great, yes, and decluttering. So the thing that's interesting about the 21 strategies of habit change is a lot of times people are like, 21 is too many. Like, I, I want just like three. Give me the big three. But the thing that's good about 21 is that it gives us a big menu because some work very well for some people and not at all for others. Some are available to us at certain times of our lives, but not at other times. And so you want to know kind of all your options so that you can pick and choose the ones that work for you because everyone's different. And so like the strategy of accountability is one of the most powerful strategies. It's it's an essential strategy for obligers, but for rebels... It can be counterproductive because if they feel like someone's looking over their shoulder, or there's something kind of checking in on them. They can that can ignite the spirit of resistance. So I wouldn't say that the strategy of accountability is a universal strategy. It's an ex- it's one of the most powerful and popular strategies, but it's not necessarily a strategy that works for everyone. Um, then there are strategies that work for just about everybody, like the strategy of convenience and inconvenience. And you see this with decluttering all the time. If you yeah. make things easy to do, people are much more likely to do them. And I did this in my house where. Just a thing for me, I was the worst defender, but my whole family was kind of like this. We just wouldn't hang up our coats. We would just throw them on the floor over a chair and it was just very messy and I couldn't get anybody to do it. So then I put a bunch of hooks in our door. It's just that much easier. We are that lazy that we will not use a hanger, but we'll use a hook. And so just that little bit of convenience um, made it a lot easier. Um, And like you see this with cluttering where like the coat closet's so crowded that it's a lot of work to jam your coat in. Whereas if you go through and you take out that, the, you know, that, that couple layers of coats that nobody's wearing anyway, and now it's very easy to hang something up, people are much more likely to do it. If you have a hamper, you know, sometimes it's like you have an idea in your head, this is where I should put like the little trash can. And it's like, but nobody uses it. And then you're like, oh, well, what if I put it this other place that maybe I wouldn't have automatically thought of? oh, all of a sudden people are easily putting away, you know, putting away their receipts mm. and their like scraps or whatever, yeah. because I just made it that teeny bit more convenient. And then inconvenient. its something, if you don't want yourself to do something, uh, you want to make it inconvenient. And this is more like things like if you have that bag of chips, put it on a high shelf. If you find yourself reaching for the remote control, of the TV constantly put it like in a drawer where you have to walk mm-hmm. into another room and grab it. Um, and then there are strategies that are available to us at certain times, but not others. And, and the most powerful strategy like this, um, which is only available at certain times, is the strategy of the clean slate. And this is the strategy that when we go through a big transition, it's much easier for old habits to be wiped away and new habits to come in. And so, for instance, when they look at people who have successfully quit smoking, which I think we would all agree is one of the most difficult habits to change, it's most often associated with when you move from one house to another. Because you don't have that habit of like, I sit at my breakfast table and have my first cigarette, you know, in the, with my first cup of coffee, because like, now you don't have a breakfast table. Mm-hmm. Um, so if you are moving to a new place, certainly, if you even rearrange your furniture, if you redecorate, if you start a new job, if you get a new puppy, if you have a new romantic partner, if you have a new baby... Anything like that is an opportunity to say, okay, now I'm going to start things fresh. Some people can even use New Year's New Year's Day, like have a New Year's resolution or milestone birthday and say, okay, I'm going to do things in a new way. Because a lot of times with decluttering, it is about just habits. It's just don't think you're going to spend a whole day Saturday doing this. Build it into your life so you just do it as you go. It's easier to keep up than to catch up. And so these are just like little habits. And so you might say, okay, I'm moving into a new house, I'm gonna like I'm gonna have this way of doing it, and I'm just from the very first day I set foot in there, I'm gonna just follow this practice. That's gonna be easier than jamming it into the cement of your existing life. Or like you're starting a new job, so you're leaving for work at a different time. You're like, okay, now I I can leave for work ten minutes later. I'm gonna use that ten minutes to just do a tidy up every day. So you know, I always I used to look at my watch at seven thirty. And then I would leave for my car. Now I leave at 740, but I'm going to use 730 as like the catalyst for me to do that 10 minute prompt. It kind of, it's it's like, and I'm going to do that from the very first day of my new job. That's just what my habit is. So, so yeah, the 21 strategies, and then there, there's, there's the strategy of treats, which is the most fun strategy. Um, there's lots of strat- strategy of foundation, which is like getting more sleep will actually help you clear clutter because yeah. you'll just feel better. Yeah.
0: I love the convenience and inconvenience because so often for our clients, they'll say, well, I'm always losing the keys, yes. but when we like put a hook at the front door yes. to make it more convenient to hang it up yes. than it is to put it down, or I may have listened to so much of your stuff that I know that you in the past have struggled with the floor drope or the chair drope. Yes. The floor drope. Yes. <laughs> so sometimes for clients, I'm like, take that chair out of that room for a month yes, and yes. then you, you've got nowhere Brilliant. to put it. <laughs>
3: Brilliant. That is a great just take it away. Yes. And then you have to then you change the habit. See, that's a great, that's kind of a like a mini clean slate. It's like I'm gonna disrupt this. So now you're yeah, gonna disruption. have to build in a new practice. Yeah. That is a great idea. Cause we have this little table which I could easily just like scoot into some other random corner <laughs> of the household. And then it would just be like this moldering pile. Yeah. All right. Yeah. So
0: if going that um, you're not an obliger, which were you, sorry?
3: Upholder. Upholder, A holder.
0: okay so given that you're an upholder I am asking you mm. <laughs> to move that little table
3: yes <laughs> I will I will do it because I'm very excited about this tool as an upholder And like how can I better how can I better ex- execute my habits yeah I will do that yeah awesome. and my husband will be really appreciative because it's like right it's it's very visible you know some floor drubs is kind of out of the way this one is right in the middle of everything um it's so. a little present for him. But that, <laughs> there you
2: go. <laughs> that clean slate, I was just talking to a client today about that clean slate strategy, just saying she was talking about how she would like to sell all this stuff on Marketplace or, you know, mm-hmm. she's got lots of stuff. And I said, well, how about instead that we create a clean slate for you? I take all of that stuff that you want to sell and we just donate it. And then from tomorrow yes. onwards, you yes. can start selling yes. things.
3: I think that's a great idea because sometimes people get so bogged down in kind of the how, when, where, uh, you know, that it, they can't catch up and it just feels like too much. I think that's a great idea. And then you're just like, and now it's kind of, it is, it just feels clean and fresh and manageable.
0: Yeah, uh, the It's like email
3: bankruptcy. Have you heard about people declaring email bankruptcy? <laughs> yes, This is when you just delete every it. email and you're that like, again. Starting again. Oh, people have done this with jobs. It's like I'm going to do something different. Like uh, you know, set up my spam filters and do all these like fancy things with my new job to manage it better. Because there is something you're like you could do it just as well now. There's no magic to the new, but it does feel like a clean slate, and so people kind of have that energy to set themselves up uh, uh, on the on the right foot from the beginning. But you can you can you can if you don't realize that you're going through a clean slate, you can miss the opportunity. Um, so it's yeah. good to know about it as as a as a as a potential place. We want to talk to you just really quickly about the happiness project, but we
0: mm. one of the questions that we got back from a listener, um, Jessica Gim, who's a, a good friend of the podcast, asked a really interesting question. She wants to know if you could choose one thing to know about yourself in the future, what would it be?
3: Mm. One thing to know about myself in the future. Um, it's a hard one, isn't it? It is hard. I think <laughs> knowing that I'm in a polder because knowing that I'm in a polder just like really explained a lot of things for me. Um, like, like here's one thing that was, that had puzzled me for a long time. And it, it then made sense when I understood a polderness. So, and as rebel, you probably, and obliger, you, you probably know this feeling of like, sometimes when things are like, there's a lot of uncertainty or there's a lot of anxiety or there's a lot of pressure, there's a lot going on. You think to yourself, uh, you know, I need to lighten my load a little bit. I need, I need to ease off of this or that because I need to kind of give myself a little bit more grace. I need to, like, you know, kind of open things up a little bit, let myself off the hook here and there as I get through this, right? But what I found is that actually made me feel worse. And people would say like, oh, this is a really stressful period for you. Like, oh, you've got a book coming out. You're going on book tour. Why don't you, you know, you're so focused on your daily walk. Why don't you just kind of take, it's like, it's a, it's not such a big deal or like, oh yeah, you quit sugar. You don't eat carbs, but you know, given everything that's going on, why don't you like take a week off or so just lighten it up? And that made sense to me intellectually, but I realized that when people told me that, it actually made me feel very anxious. And what I realized is that for upholders, and this is true, I've talked to a lot of upholders, is that mm-hmm. for us it's very reassuring to go deeper, to go to like be perfect, to go all the way. That's reassuring Just to us. Dig that, in dig in. It yeah. comforts us. And so I think like if you're the parent of a child who's an upholder and you want to be like, oh honey, uh, given everything that's going on, I don't think you need to do that, then the child can react by feeling anxious. boy, like, what are you saying? That's terrible. I don't understand. You know? And then yes. you're like, why are you so like extreme and rigid? And it's like, no, because they find it reassuring to stick to the plan that is reassuring for them. And, and so now when I talk to upholders, I'll be like, well, listen, why don't you just take a week and just do, all, uh, just make sure you hit every, every t- to do. Wake up on time. You got to bed on time. You eat the way you want to eat, you get your work done. Like really just try to execute. And to other tendencies, that sounds kind of like crazy talk, but to, a re- to an upholder, it's very reassuring. Yeah. And they did this interesting research with university students, and what they found – and they didn't understand the four tendencies, so I think they kind of misunderstood what was going on. But what they found is that people that had really good habits, students that had really good habits during exams, they tended to be more – uh, conscientious, like if they read the newspaper every day, they read the newspaper every single day. If they went to bed mm-hmm. at a certain time, they went to bed right on time. And then other other students kind of let themselves off the hook. I'm like, this makes perfect sense because I'm mm-hmm. sure those were the upholders who are like, during exam time, like the more I'm in my habit, the more I stick to my routine, the more comforting I'm going to find that. So like to me, that was hugely helpful because I was like, what's wrong with me? Like, why is it that I can't? Why can't I loosen up? Because everybody else finds that so freeing and like um helpful yeah yeah yes says that to me quite regularly gretchen. Uh, yeah. you
2: you were definitely yeah. an obliger who tilts into a polder are you talking about me or about yeah. gretchen oh me no, you you're <laughs> an obliger who tips into a polder because when I tell you the chill sometimes you're like but I can't it makes me feel better to not chill like <laughs> oh, yeah, yes. just do the work right.
0: yes yes
2: yep.
0: yes <laughs> <laughs> so We want to know, as we're um, wrapping up, we want to know from your happiness work and your happiness research, with the world in the crazy
3: place that it is,
0: what are some things we can do just to increase our
3: happiness? Just sort of like emergency members, we could do like right now type thing? Yeah, yep. Okay. Uh, so if you, if you need to give yourself a quick lift right now, um, one thing to do, and this is a classic, uh, but it really works is to listen to your favorite upbeat music. This is one of the quickest, easiest, most effective ways to intervene in your mood. So if you need it, you know, and maybe you want to make a playlist, like for the happier podcast, we made a happiness, nine one, one Spotify list where everybody sent in like the song that always made them happy. Um, because it's good to have a go-to song. Um, and, uh, so that's like happiness, nine, one, one on uh, happier, nine, one, one on Spotify. Um, another thing, this sounds funny, but just like, uh, jump. If you do 10 jumping jacks, if you run down the stairs, if you jump over a puddle, there's something kind of childlike and playful about jumping, especially if other people can see you because you look so silly. <laughs> um, I constantly do 10 jumping jacks to lift my mood. And if I like, if my daughters, I can't get my husband to do it. If my daughters are feeling blue, I will tell them to do 10 jumping jacks. Another great thing to do is to go outside and go for, like, go for a walk because you get a bunch of things there. You get the movement, which moving our bodies tends to kind of like both energize us and calm us. So it kind of works both ways. Um, being out in the sunlight. Sunlight, they're doing all kinds of fascinating research on how important sunlight is to the, the mechanisms in our body. It's extremely healthy for us to get. Light into our face, especially if we are getting early morning light, which helps tends to regulate the circadian rhythm. If you're having trouble sleeping or staying asleep, which a lot of people are these days, being outside in the sunlight is really going to help you with that. Um, and just like being outside, like it just you know a little, just walking around the block a few times, it just like what doing an errand, like walking to get a cup of coffee and walking back if you can, that will give you a lift. Connecting with other people. Um, We get a lift when we connect with other people so you could call a friend or you could, you know, be emailing with somebody even something like talking to a store clerk. So it's not like you're even connecting with a friend but just having a little social exchange lifts our mood. Another thing do good feel good. It makes us feel good when we do good in the world. So if that's something as easy as like picking up some trash that you see on the sidewalk. Or like maybe, you know, I often have like little tasks like, oh, I, I my friend has this little consulting business and I know this other person who I think might be a good client for her. So I should like do an email. I said I would do an email introduction. It's like take the 10 minutes and do the email introduction. If you told somebody you were going to recommend your dentist, recommend your dentist, if you can, uh, you know, uh, register to vote, you know, I mean, whatever it would be, doing good in the world makes us feel good for ourselves. Yeah, you know, well, awesome. we you've know, like you got... A, couple extra dollars that you want to donate to some cause and you've been you're like oh i've been meaning to donate to a food bank for a while it's like take the time and do it you're going to feel good when you do that so um so those are some of the things um if you need if you need a mood boost right now and there's always decluttering i think spending <laughs> some time you clean off your desk you clean your bedroom you organize your medicine cabinet it just lifts your lifts your spirits Oh, it doesn't. It does. I mean, yeah, you can self-medicate through clutter clearing.
2: Awesome. And lastly, we wanted to ask you. We know that you're writing a new book about yes. how our senses affect us. So, do you want to give us a quick, like, quick preview on what yes. what that looks like at the moment?
3: Well, and you know, decluttering is related to this because it's about our surroundings and our environment, and trying to like boost what's pleasant in our surroundings, and then maybe getting rid of things that are stinky, or sticky, or scratchy, or frayed, or you know, whatever. Um, so I'm very, I'm very interested in, in like how we can get to the mind through the body, how we can get to the inside through the outside. So it's really what is very uh what we can feel and experience through our five senses and so I'm looking at each of the five senses um the kinder the kindergarten senses I know there are other senses but I'm talking about the kindergarten senses and really how we can um explore senses um to do that and I've just done so many fun things everything from like really noticing the taste of ketchup because ketchup is like a superfood to I took a perfume class uh and a cheese class and um, you know, just really try. I go, I've been going to the Metropolitan Museum every day. I can't now because of the pandemic, but they're opening up again soon. So I can go back to my daily visit. Um, it's just been so every book that I write, I think I will never love the process of writing a book as much as I've loved this book. This book was just (laughs) so much fun. And this book, I'm like, this is the most fun ever because the body going through the body, just energizing. So I don't have a cool title. So if you have any, Suggestions for titles, send them my way. I'm still, I have like, a, I've got like a list of like 75 possible titles. I haven't yeah. figured out exactly what I want to title it. Um, but I'm having so much fun doing the research <sighs> and writing.
2: I want your job. Like how I cool know. to experiment all right? the time for I the know. sake of writing a book.
3: I know. I'm like the guinea pig for myself. Yes, it is. It <laughs> yeah. is. I do. I'm like, no, literally I was like, what was I ordering the other day? I was like, this is literally like a business expense for me. I'm like, and I'm not even like, I'm not even like exaggerating. Like I have to have this. <laughs> That's uh, the best. just
0: yeah. dark chocolate. It's they keep bringing that oh, in baby. But,
3: oh, but see the thing is I quit sugar. That's what oh, I really about the dark. Maybe you can get some no sugar really dark. Is that it? doesn't taste that good without any sugar. True.
2: It's
0: pretty bitter. It's Mm. pretty
3: bitter. Um, Yeah. But I, you know, I have a whole thing about why I quit sugar and like why that actually, because one of the things I look at is deprivation, because one of the ways we can really awaken ourselves is through deprivation. But with sugar, I'm just like, I can't, I just like, I just can't manage it. I have such a sweet tooth. I can't manage it. So, yeah. But that's one the beauty is that you can
2: go all or nothing.
3: I one can go we'll all or nothing. One of listeners
2: is actually asking about how your no sugar is going with your family.
3: Well, you know, that's an interesting question because one of the things that I that is true in the research, and I've certainly found this, is with habits, if one person changes habits, other people sort of Pick up that habit. We 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 pass how ha- you see this with cluttering. If one person mm. really makes an effort, often even if you're not nagging, people or telling them what to do. They kind of clean up too, or they or they get inspired, or they say, "Oh wow, that yep. looks great. I'm yeah. going to try that." Or they it just, looks at a out system, place. Yeah, yeah. This system's kind of cat or catching, and we can catch bad habits and we can catch good habits. So I would say my family, I don't expect them. They eat sugar all the time. We have ice cream in our house. We have Oreos in our house. My daughter makes brownies like all the time. Uh, My Uh, husband has ice cream Saturday when he eats ice cream every (laughs) Saturday. Um, But I will say, I think that they eat less and they eat less carbs than like, because like we used to, maybe we would have pasta for dinner, but now I'm like, well, I don't eat pasta. So then they're like, well, well, let's just pick something else that you're going to like. So I think that they have become more in line with, I would say my parents and my in-laws have become much more in line. Mm -hmm. Um, Interestingly, even though we don't live together, they've kind of bought into it much more. Um, And with my family, I think that they, they, they kind of unwittingly have come more into line with the way that I eat. Um. But not because I've enforced it, but just because because I'm doing it. It's because I make eggs all the time. I make, I like, I you can't even believe how many eggs I eat in a week. So they just eat more eggs. Because if one person's making scrambled eggs, you're like, oh yeah, I'll have some well. scrambled eggs mm. too. You know, it just it just starts to feel, um, but I do feel like I, I didn't want to be, it's a pretty big thing, not to eat sugar. And I didn't, sometimes you can have the backlash. We've all seen that where you try so hard to get somebody to do something. Well, you're a rebel, you know, a about rebel. Backlash, that you then inspire them to want to go the other direction. And so I'm like, everybody needs to come to their own place with this, but I know what's works for me. Yeah. Um, but it is interesting how they've kind of come more into line with it than they would have been. I think if I had not adopted that habit.
2: Oh, this has been, we could talk all night.
3: We really could talk all, all, all night. Yes, <laughs> I know. It's so fun. We're interested in so many of the same things.
2: A few of our community want to
0: know when you come to Australia, could you please let the out of decluttering community know? Because we want to be there. Oh, with on.
3: I would love to. I've only been to Australia once. I had the best time ever. I am dying to come back. So I will absolutely do that. Yes. Let us One know. of these days I will be back <laughs> on that. That long, long flight uh, long and the weird, the time, the, 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 the international dateline still, uh, it's like, blows my mind. It's like, what, what is happening? Yeah. No, I love. Coming, and all, I love and from Australia. New
2: York, New York is uh, hard. I, I lived in Boston for a little while. And so we went from the East coast all the yes. way home. That was yes.
3: Brutal. brutal. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, But you'll be warmly welcomed when you come. One of these days, one of these days, (laughs) I will be back. I can't wait.
0: And can you just share with our listeners where they can find you, listen Mm -hmm. to you, connect with you further?
3: Yes. Well, we talked a lot about the four tendencies. So again, if you want to take that free quick quiz, it's at quiz.gretchenrubin.com. Um, I also have a website, which is like where you can read all about my books and I post there a lot and you can see the podcast episodes. Like it's kind of the clearinghouse for everything is at GretchenRubin.com. Uh, my podcast, which you mentioned is happier with Gretchen Rubin and that's every week. It's about how to be happier. Um, which I do with my sister, the clutter blind one. So <laughs> that comes up a lot. Um, and I'm on social media everywhere is Gretchen Rubin. So Instagram, Facebook, uh, Twitter, LinkedIn, YouTube, I'm um, all under just my name, Gretchen Rubin. Um, and I love to connect. I, you're very connected to your audience. I love to hear from people with insights and examples and questions and observations. And so, um, yeah, I'm like more accessible than, than, uh, you know, ever before. Um, and I love to hear from people. Um, so that's where you can, and then there's tons of free resources related to my book. If you want like discussion guides and for outer order in your column, there's a lot of like kind of tools and checklist and my manifesto. Yep, I've got it sitting
0: on the bookshelf just behind me here. Yeah, I see it over <laughs> your
3: shoulder. Excellent. Yeah. I love that. Wonderful. And I
2: am part of your four tendencies course and I am loving it. So. Oh,
3: good. Well, because I think it's a rebel, you're the most misunderstood tendency. Um, so I bet it's good to hear about Why can't people, why are people just trying to tell me what to do all the time? (laughs) Uh,
2: It's, yeah, it's, it's been really um, illuminating to go, yes, like that is why I get my back up when people, like even my husband, um, we were talking about um, my personal trainer is moving away and he said, Kirstie, you really need to find another personal trainer that you really, really, really connect with because then that has been the only way that you've successfully lost weight and been healthy because you connected with that person and you felt, um, and, and you really like, that's what's worked for you. But then when he said, and then in the like next breath or the next day, he says, you really need to go for a walk. And I was just like, you can't tell me
3: yes right? right 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 and even
2: right, right. like I go he, I, I want to go for a walk like,
3: yeah or what if he had said something like oh I guess it's late enough now that you're not going to go for a walk you'd be like what of course I am yeah oh that's great
2: yeah, I would have been like, you watch me. I'm yes. going out. I there don't you go. care who's out yeah. walking and yeah. weird people out at this time of night. I'm going out for a walk.
3: Some guy <laughs> said that he started walking regularly because somebody said it's too dangerous to walk at night in your neighborhood. And he's like, watch me. Watch and me. So he got like a reflector shield and now he walks every night <laughs>
0: oh Gretchen this has been so good we are so grateful that you've given us some of your precious time and share oh just, like, thank you so, so much, much for gold. fun
3: oh my gosh I had the most fun thank you so much for having me
0: you are amazing thank you so much listeners we'll be back in your ears next week
2: Yeah, and oh, before we go, we wanted to say a big thank you to Anne Howe for becoming a Patreon supporter. Thank you, thank you, Anne. We love having you in our Facebook community and we really appreciate your support. So have a great week and we'll see you next week. Bye. 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 Thanks for joining
0: us. If you've learnt something awesome today, we'd love you to leave us a review on iTunes or Facebook
2: so others can find our podcast too. Don't forget you can see the show notes in your podcast app or over at our website, artofdecluttering.com.au. So if there's anything you want more info on, check it out there.
0: If you'd like to join our supporter community, you can do so over at patreon.com slash the Art of Decluttering. We hope you have a great rest of your day. And enjoy the freedom.